0: Thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, My name is Ben Teo and I'm from the uh, City of Marion Library Service. Um, Firstly, I would like to acknowledge that the land we meet on today is the traditional lands of the Kaurna people and that we respect their spiritual relationship with their country. We also acknowledge the Kaurna people as the traditional custodians of the Adelaide region and that their cultural and heritage beliefs are still as important uh, to the living Kaurna people today. Just a couple of housekeeping rule, uh, rules or a couple of housekeeping things as we get started. Please, one, um, make sure your phones are on silent or off. Um, also, if you're looking for the bathroom, it is out this door just past the cafe, and there's a little um, hallway just back that way where you'll find the bathrooms. If there's an emergency, um, just follow the instructions. Uh, we'll head out to all together. Um, but of course, um, Please try and give each other as much distancing as, as possible. We do encourage people still to wear masks as well even though you're seated. Um, but this evening we are so pleased to welcome Tricia Stringer. Um, Tricia is a best-selling and multiple award-winning author. Tricia grew up in country South Australia and has spent much of her life in rural communities. Her love of Australian rural communities, landscapes and its people are evident in her stories. Most recently, The Family Inheritance, Table for Eight, and The Model Wife. I'm sure for most of you, you already know all of that. Um, After the event, you will have the opportunity to purchase Trisha's books in the foyer, thanks to Shakespeare's books. Um, So without any further ado, uh, please join me in welcoming Trisha Stringer.
1: Thanks, Ben, and the wonderful team here at, or who've organised this, from Marion Library. And um, I think I've said hello to a lot of people, but thank you all so much for coming along. Um, I've um, never been here to the Domain Theatre before, so it's lovely, you know, great great opportunity to come along. But what I'm really thankful for is um, the opportunity to be doing these live events, which is, um, we are very, very lucky. Um, next week I was supposed to be in Victoria and of course that's um, all going online now um, but it is so much more fun to to see you all in person. So um, I'd like to thank um, my publishing team just while I'm here, my publishing house, Harlequin Books. Um, they're part of the larger HarperCollins family and um, they're a great team of people. My publisher, Jo, um, she was going to come... To this event, she badly wanted to, but of course they're all based in Sydney, so they can't leave. Um, And uh, my editor Annabelle and my fabulous uh, publicist Natika, who organises all these events, and the rest of the team that make them up. And tonight, um, Anthony Little is here representing Harper Collins. He's the rep for South Australia, so thank you, Anthony, for doing that. Um, And. Just one other thank you, really, for to my family, because without them, there would be no Book 14. Uh, my husband and my three grown-up children and their partners and my grandies and assorted fur babies, um, they all uh, do so many things just to help keep me going. And so uh, they're represented here tonight by my daughter, Kelly. So thank you. Um, thanks, fam, <laughs> And... Also, just while we're on, the thank yous um, to Becky and Mike from Shakespeare Books, who um, can't hear me, I guess, because they're out in the foyer, but I've been out to say hello to them and, you know, bringing copies of my books here. We're so lucky to have independent booksellers, so I do hope that you will support them. Um, For me, booksellers are like librarians. They're um, those Fabulous people, um, kind of a bit like angels, I think. And I especially think of them that way at the moment when we've been through what we've been through and that they've kept um, books in our hands and, and, you know, I guess you're here tonight because you're avid readers and, you know, what would we do in this time without books especially? So um, thanks to all of the librarians and booksellers who've done all sorts of things to make sure that we've still got books. Um, Birds of a Feather is dedicated to two um, very special women who are booksellers or were booksellers. One of them has retired. Um, Mandy Mackey, who some of you may know from uh, Dimmicks in I can see some nods, some Dimmicks in Rundle Mall. Um, and Margie Arnold, who owns Meg's bookshop in Port Puri. And between them, I think, um, they've got about 60 years of service to um, readers around the state because, you know, Mandy's always supported not only Adelaide but any country people that need it and Margie's bookshop at Port Puri virtually serves the rest of South Australia in that direction because there's, there are no bookshops beyond her bookshop uh, in the in sort of the bigger part of the state. So um, they I met them when I first started um, teaching at Moonta Area School as a teacher librarian and, you know, was buying books. And then I started to get into writing. I think they supported me really before I realised I was a writer myself. And then when I did some self-publishing to begin with um, and went in with my book and said, you know, would you put this on your shelf? And they happily said yes and held launches and you know, took me to places to do talks like this and were very, very helpful. So I really am grateful to them both and so I wanted to thank them and dedicate this book to them. So the inspiration for the story is something that I often get asked about and there are a few things that um, gave me the inspiration for Birds of a Feather and the first is that um, for a lot of my life I've lived close to the prawn industry. So when I first started teaching, I taught in Port Lincoln at a school called Curtin Point Primary School. And that school, we all uh, had these lovely light blue um, wind sheeters, but we had um, a, a boat, a Tacoma. And so I think um, living in Port Lincoln and, and having the, the Spencer Gulf Prawn Fleet sort of based there, And then moving to Wallaroo, where I live now, and of course that is also home-based. So they share between those two towns uh, is where they move between the boats, sort of come in depending on the weather and all of that sort of thing. So um, I've always, you know, thought it's such an interesting industry and one that I think sometimes is South Australia's best kept secret. You know, these wonderful prawns that we have and so... In the back of my mind, I've always sort of wanted to have a story that maybe somehow incorporated the, um, the prawn industry. And then, uh, a while back now, my daughter and I were having um, coffee at a lovely little coffee shop just along Marion Road called Once and Again. Some of you might know that one. Um, and we were chatting away and realised that there were another couple sitting next to us who were similar, you know, mother and daughter, having a coffee, so we thought and then we got talking to them. And it turns out that they weren't mother and daughter. The older lady was the younger woman's, you have to hang in here with me with this, was the younger woman's best, mother's best friend. Okay, so the mother had died several years earlier, but they had maintained that lovely friendship where they caught up regularly and, and kept in touch. And that sort of, Triggered some you know things in the back of my mind of all those other lovely friendships we have, and and how do we make them? You know, often we we know the ones where we've gone to school with people or we've worked with people or you know the, those sort of usual friendships, but often we make friends in other ways and um, they last us a long time. So I, that those sort of things, the prawn industry and that which you would wonder how that came together. <laughs> so that that. Brought me to this wonderful character, the main character of this book, whose name is Eve, and Eve is um, a strong woman. She's managed her own business, and so when when I was beginning this story, I thought, well, you know, what what business would she have managed all her life that she's she's done? And then, uh, you know, I thought, aha, she had she had a prawn business, so or owned a prawn trawler, so that worked quite well, um, and then. That's a business that's traditionally operated by men too and still is a fairly male-dominated business. So I thought it was really good to put her in that situation. Um, And it also made perfect sense to me then that the setting would be um, at Wallaroo. But, you know, I live there. It's a small town. So um, I thought I'd rename it and call it Wallaby Bay and no one will know, you see. (laughs) So as the story begins, Eve has had an accident. She's hurt her shoulder and she needs some uh, support at home and she needs a, you know, a nurse and a carer. So along comes Lucy, who's a newcomer to the town. She's quite a determined young woman. She's got, um, except for her, two young children and her FIFO husband. She doesn't have a lot of connections yet to the town. And she and Eve... Get together rubbing along together okay and then uh, Eve's goddaughter Julia turns up from Melbourne and she between the three of them they're all quite different um, and each of them um, as the book goes on we discover is um, grappling with a personal loss of some sort and for Eve it's facing forced retirement so she's 70 she's had this prawn business uh, most of her life her adult life and so now she's got to find this new path for herself. And, um, you know, what is she going to do with herself? Julia has had a, a sudden job loss. And she's also got a fear of com- personal commitment. And so that's what sends her back to uh, visit Eve at Wallaby Bay. And Lucy is struggling with, I think, um, for those of you who are parents will know, is one of the, the biggest um, things that we face sometimes, and that's that mother guilt and uh, we we carry that around a lot. So, when I started writing this story, um, I usually start at the beginning of the year. I'm finishing off editing the next book and I'm ready to start the new book. And so, um, you can imagine where you all were in March last year, and that's when I was about to sit down to write my new book. And so, the events of the world around us, you know, as, as and probably most of you felt the same way. It sort of tore us away from all those things that we were used to doing and was very distracting and um, and scary and, and all of those things. So um, it was quite hard to be creative, I found, in that space. You know, I had to, I kept being drawn back to the media and, and wanting to know what was going to happen next. So in the end, I thought, you know, whatever happens next, (laughs) the world is going on and my publisher still wants this book at the end of this year, so I have to write it. So I sort of had to shut myself away then from um, all those distractions and really channel again to try and um, get focus back on the book. Um, I I found it pretty hard then, though, to write a story that – all my stories are now based in contemporary times – so it's really hard to write a story without including a reference of some sort to the pandemic that was going on all around us. So what I've done with that, I hope, you know, I didn't want to write a story about the pandemic, but it you, you'll just see little influences there. Um, and I think really what ended up being the focus was it's more about, the story's more about the challenges that we face in life and they can be anything, you know, we've all had them of, of one sort or another, but it's how, we deal with those challenges, how we face up to them, and and what happens next that makes us who we are. And so that's more what the story is about. Um, But I just couldn't resist slipping in two words that um, we heard over and over again, especially in those early days. Um, You know, the media was just full of it. And I don't know if you will know what they were, but they just came up again and again and again and it just makes my skin creep to hear them now. Anybody got any idea what they might be? Yes. Unprecedented. These unprecedented times. How many times did we hear that and still hear that? So uh, that and there was one other. It starts with P. Pivot. We're going to pivot. Even my lovely, lovely publicist, I love her to bits, but next week's events, they're not changing to online. We've pivoted to online. So I just, you know, I couldn't resist. There was one little part in the book where I kind of needed a a bit of a, you know, a pompous sort of a guy to say something. So he used those words. So I hope you have a little, little giggle when you get to that part. The research for this story um, has led me off on all sorts of tangents and um, quite a few years ago now I was thinking on a different story where the main character was going to be a research scientist and I knew nothing about the life of a research scientist. So I googled, um, you know, research institutes and came up with Garvin in Sydney and then looked at all the people, they've got lovely bios of all the people that work there, and I plucked one and sent an email, explained who I was and, and that I would really like to be able to um, talk about the life of a research scientist. And um, Dr. Susan Clark was the person that I contacted and she was very happy to help me. So we spent quite a lot of time on the phone talking about you know, the background and, and what sorts of things might affect my character, how she might live, what she might do. Um, and then that story didn't, didn't kind of work out. So that information is never wasted. It's got stored away for a, for a rainy day. And then along came Julia in this book, who is a research scientist. And so that information was very helpful. But I thought, you know, that was a few years ago. I want to refresh my memory. So um, my daughter-in-law works for the CSIRO. She's a publicity person with them. And so she put me in touch with one of their scientists who works in Melbourne. And uh, Samira was absolutely wonderful and we had some great chats once again and she was able to, you know, give me a little bit more detail there was one uh, patch where I wanted um, one of the younger workers to um, have to do something because he was in trouble, have to do a job that he might not like. so she said, "This is the one that nobody in the lab likes to do, so she gave me you know little things like that that just make it um, obviously better for the story, and also you know tell you you know makes it more interesting um, My character Lucy is a FIFO, or her partner is a FIFO worker, so um, I had sort of a a small experience of that when my children were young, uh, my husband worked away for a week at a time. So you know I was sort of used to a little bit of that sort of life, but obviously it's much harder to do a month or longer at a time, and so contacted some young friends who have um, lived that life, and they were very helpful um, with, with that aspect. And then, of course, there's Eve's character with the uh, prawn trawler. And, and living at Wallaroo, I, I knew lots of prawnies, so I was able to uh, contact a few of them and get their perspective. Um, Jim Waller was one who um, was very helpful. He's been in the prawn industry pretty much since it began so and retired now, but he was able to give me that sort of earlier days what it would have been like then, and, and up until the present, and then another couple who have more recently um, owned a prawn boat, and um, you know what that life was like, and it was interesting to talk to them because they were husband and wife, and to get the wife's perspective, uh, which was perhaps a little bit different again. So that was you know helped me with Eve, and so all of these people were very generous with their time, and I think you know helped to make the story and the book deeper and, and richer for their help. Setting the story in my hometown, as I said, um, was fraught with difficulty. Um, I changed the name to Wallaby Bay, and um, you know, to protect the innocent or even the guilty—I'm not sure which—but um, the characters are all fictitious. The places in the story are all fictitious, so you won't find the cinnamon bark cafe or the um, cutty Sark or any of those places. They—they they don't exist. <laughs> But we do have lots of lovely coffee shops and all sorts of um, nice places at Wallaroo but I just thought I just don't want them to be anything like the ones that are there because um, people, you know, often go looking for them then or, you know, people get upset if I've said something that's not quite right Well, you know, that's not our shop, it doesn't look like that. So I, you know, hope that I won't be run out of town once they've once they've read the story. I haven't had any bad feedback yet. <laughs> Um, And I've also managed to sneak in another little South Aussie icon and that's um, the Balfour's frog cake. I couldn't resist getting that in there. Um, And my publisher Joe always says, you know, Tricia, your books have always got food in them. But, you know, to me, food is uh, an important part, just like relationships, it's just so important. And so I can't help but have it in the story. It's often what makes people tick is is whether they enjoy food or they don't enjoy food or they like to cook or they don't like to cook. All those things are, you know, I think, help rounding out the characters. Um, And... You know, it, it also adds great enjoyment to my research. You don't know how many prawns and frog cakes I've had to eat <laughs> just to get it right for you. So, you know, I do my bit just to to make sure it's good. Um, tonight, I also wanted to make mention of the people that um, we authors call the cover fairies. And they are the the wonderful design people who create the covers, the team that gets together. and. What happens is that the um, publisher usually gives them a brief and says, you know, this is what I'm imagining might be on the cover. And you can see um, it's a magnificent cover. I, I really am always happy when I see it. Um, but so what happens is they take that those ideas and they make some, um, some mock-ups and... Then that goes back and forth between the team and and perhaps to sometimes to booksellers and other people to just look at to get an idea. What do you think? You know, how will this place on the shelf? How will it look? And so there's a lot of work that goes into it because people often ask me, "Do I have any say in it?" And really, no, I don't. <laughs> so when um, when the book cover comes to me, it's nearly finished, and so I do get a little bit of a you know a little bit. Of, I can say, I mean, I guess if I absolutely hated it. I I would say, but I never have. They've always been great. And, you know, the people that are doing it have far better knowledge of that side of things than I do. But I did get a little um, bit of help with this. I did get a say in this one. Um, Through the door, you can see it goes outside to a garden. And this is Eve's... Well, to me, this is Eve's house. Um, And she lives out of town um, on a bit of land, so it's kind of like a part of a farm that's been chopped off and she lives on that. And so through that door there's a, there, was, um, there was originally you know, some really neat, tidy little plants, and she's not a gardener, and also a beautiful little white picket fence. And I said, you know, can we just have an old wire fence and a bit less of the pretty? Um, and so they adjusted that for me. But that's it. <laughs> Um, but, you know, if you look closely, uh, you may not have noticed, but in that um, beautiful arrangement of flowers, there are actually three feathers. So all of the things in the story, um, the prawn boat in the picture, they're all sort of there. And to come up with that, a lot of people are involved, and they're mentioned on the back of the cover, but I'll just tell you, the um, the, the overall cover designer was a wonderful person called Deborah Bilson, so she... You know, came up with the concept and and came up with most of it. But then to to get everything on that pa- on that cover, the images, the kitchen and the gate are attributed to somebody else, Amy Doak. The boat, the teapot, the cups, the flowers, and the back cover. So there's a little illustration on the like it overlaps onto the back. Uh, are from Shuttercock, that's a you know a generic place where people can uh, buy photos. Um, Feathers, just those three feathers. Deborah went and got them. I'm not sure how, because she lives in Sydney. So she's not allowed out, but she may have plucked a passing bird, I'm not sure. (laughs) But but there are three feathers in there. Um, Barn and fence, uh, another group of people came up with those. And the path and the garden, another lot again. So all of those different elements Came from different places to make the cover and so a lot of work goes into that to make it just right um, and i think it looks good and i hope you'll enjoy what's inside the cover as well i like creating um, female characters with strengths and weaknesses that you readers can relate to and i like to put them in a setting that we understand which is an australian setting and and most of my books are in south australia Um, So, Birds of a Feather brings together three very different women, Eve, Julia and Lucy, who on the outset appear to have very little in common. Circumstance connects them, adversity um, tests them, and friendship brings them together like birds of a feather. And I just thought I would just share a little piece with you from the book, and this is near the start. Eve is a creature of habit, um, and she likes to head down to the main street of Wallaby Bay once a week to do all her jobs. Um, And as this uh, scene is starting, she's done her jobs and she's uh, just going off to meet a friend. She's running behind schedule. Eve was running behind schedule when she whipped into the cinnamon bark cafe at the end of the main street. She had a quick chat to Dale and Brent who um, ran the cafe, more planter box discussions. They were on the side of colourful annuals. They made her coffee to take away and as she turned to go, two women entered. They both paused, looked from Eve to each other. Eve drew herself up, annoyed at the sudden race of her heart. Audrey, Norma, she said with a nod as she strode towards the door. Audrey stepped into Eve's path. Her finely plucked and pencilled eyebrows shot up to meet her lacquered fringe. What are you doing here? Buying a coffee. I believe anyone can. Well, there's no need for that tone, Norma muttered. Audrey put a hand on Norma's arm and turned her sharp gaze back to Eve. Haven't seen you about in a long time. I'm still here. Not coming back to help at the museum again? Not likely. We won't hold you up then. Eve stood her ground. She wasn't about to be dismissed by Audrey Owens. What's happening with the prawn industry display? No agreement has been reached about that. I wonder why. Audrey's look turned hawk-like. Withdrawing your donation has slowed things, but others will come on board. No one else in the industry will make a donation unless a proper plan is developed. Unless you allow them to, you mean. "'Each business is their own master, Audrey.' Norma sniffed her displeasure, but Audrey's lips turned up in a cat that got the cream smile. "'That's so true,' she said. "'I suppose you've heard about Chrissy's engagement.' "'No,' Eve swallowed the why-would-she-care retort that sprung to her lips. "'She felt sorry for whoever was going to get Audrey as a (laughs) mother-in-law. "'Nicholas Colston,' Audrey was beaming now, and Eve could understand why. The Colstons were based in Port Lincoln. Ralph Colston was another pioneer of the local prawn industry. Three generations of the family helped manage their extensive fishing business. Audrey's youngest daughter was marrying into fishing royalty. Please give them my congratulations. Oh, the Queen is giving her blessing, is she? Sarcasm dripped from Audrey's tongue, her smile gone. You've had your say for too long, Eve Monk. Your influence is on the way out. Eve's cheeks warmed and her heart picked up speed again. She was aware that the tinkle clink of cutlery on crockery and the mumbled conversations around them had stopped. Is everything all right here? Dale had left the counter to stand beside them. The cafe was almost silent and Eve felt the collective gaze of those seated around her press close, an invisible wall of condemnation. A horrible feeling of deja vu swept over her. It's fine she said, and strode outside. She could hear Norma's complaining voice start up before the door even closed behind her. Eve took a breath. That was unfortunate, she muttered. So there's just a little taste of birds of a feather. And I have um, sort of run out of what I was going to say to you, but I would be more than happy to take questions if anybody feels brave enough to ask any. Oh yes, hello. <laughs> yes, please do. No. When you started to talk, you gave us quite a good crazy of the characters and the little bit about How much of that have you planned before you start writing? Great, thank you. When I start writing my story, I've already um, spent a bit of time in my head with the characters. Um, and the setting, I have a rough idea of where the story is going, and maybe where it 's going to finish and I'll, the rest is who knows, but the characters yes i i I like to um, jot down a few notes about them, what makes them tick, you know what do they like what don 't they like you know obviously how old they are, you know what might have brought them to this point in their life it's it 's um, not necessarily something that gets written into the story, but you will understand it because it will sort of flow through the story. So yes, I do spend time before I actually sit down to start writing just making sure I know, Just mostly the main characters the other characters kind of come into it, you don't even know who they're going to be quite often. Um, um, I have ideas for, I think, oh yes that's just a minor part and then suddenly that person might be you know, have several scenes in the, in the story, um, but the main characters certainly get to know them well before I start. Thank you. What else? Yes, hi. <coughs> the uh, interest in audio books, um, have you ever been asked to narrate any of your books? <laughs> I haven't narrated my books. so knowledgeable of the book that I thank you <laughs> that I am listening to the audio version of this book at the moment as I'm traveling around. Um it is narrated by a very talented young lady called Casey Withus, and she is doing a marvelous job. Like I'm, I'm listening to it, going, "Oh, wow!" <laughs> you know, like she's really bringing it to life. She's um, she would be uh, in her thirties, I guess, um, and she can do voices from Poppy, a little girl in the story, who's a five or six, to um, you know Eve, who's in her seven or who's seventy. She's and the range and the um 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 Lucy's mother-in-law is has um Greek background and there's just that hint of a Greek voice in there you know like she's very very talented way better than me <laughs> and you know it's a huge job to do an audiobook it's our you know many many hours of work to do it uh, it's a bit like writing they have um someone listening to it as she's reading it following along to make sure she's not because you know what your eyes like it's it's, um yeah it's a lot of work in the production of an audio book and i just would rather hand it to (laughs) to them to do but yes thank you Mm. hi Hoping there might, There is a lovely museum there. Sorry, I should say there is a nautical museum there and it has some fantastic history in it. I think there's the tinkiest little mention of prawns, but not there. So, um, you know, maybe. 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 Yes. Sorry, there was somebody over. Oh, did I see another hand? No? Yep. Oh, hi. <laughs> yes, it's, it's as you would know, very hard to chop words out when you've painstakingly written them, but if they don't work, they don't work. Um, sometimes I think what happens is I'm pushing the characters in a direction that they don't want to go. And so, you know, it, it's kind of like stepping back then and thinking, OK, this isn't working, why isn't it working? And that's because, you know, I'm... Telling them to go and have a tea party when they really want to go down the pub and have a few drinks or whatever is the thing. So, I I often go for a walk on the beach or, you know, just do something else for a while and let that gel or move on to the next part. I've come back to it. I I never actually delete, I cut and I have got this um, other file that's called bits (laughs) and they're saved because I cannot bear to delete them. And, you know, I always think, you know, I might just go back and reread that and think, you know, oh, you know, maybe that little section might work. I never have, never have taken those bits and put them back in. You know, may, or, you know, maybe a tiny sentence, but yeah, nothing really. You know, I just, I, in fact, I don't even think to go back and look at it quite often, but I just can't bear to delete them. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Mm. Any other questions? Yes. My daughter's not allowed to look, <laughs> <laughs> speak. <laughs> um, I when I'm writing the new book. Uh, so, the one I sort of sit down February, March to begin, I try and be quite structured then. So, I, I found when I first started writing, I, I worked full time. So, I used to, um, I w- was a teacher librarian and into IT at school as well. So, that was very busy. And so, writing for me was little snippets that I could grab, you know, early morning, late at night, sometimes on the weekend or a bit of school holidays or whatever. Um, so when I retired from teaching to become a full-time writer, I suddenly had all day to write, and I'm a procrastinator. I'm really good at it. <laughs> so I decided that I really needed to put some structure back into my life. So I, what I do in my head is pretend I'm going out to work, and so just like I used to, you know, put on a load of washing, or, you know sweep the floor or whatever you do before you go, have your breakfast, get ready, you know, get dressed and do all those things. And then at around about eight o'clock, I take the two steps across the kitchen into my office and, you know, sort of put myself in that zone. And then my aim when I'm writing that first draft is to get 2,000 words a day during the week. Um, And then um, that sometimes can take me till you know, it's really quick and I might be done by lunchtime. and other times it can I'm still there at five o'clock trying to get the words on the page so it's, um, it varies um, and then in the afternoons there's a lot of admin stuff to do as well There's there's often other things other jobs you know answering people's emails I love to you know talk to readers and you know follow-ups um, things that my publisher might want or you know there's lots of things so um, you have to fit that in as well somewhere so it's quite structured to begin with and then when I get to edits I'm a bit more, you know, I flow a bit more with that because I, I feel like I've got the the I've got the hardest part done. I really love the editing process. Um and so my editor you know comes back to me with suggestions and um I can tackle that kind of anywhere. I sometimes even go to one of the local coffee shops and just sit in the corner with my laptop and because it, I don't have to come up with something new, I just have to reread what's there and tweak it and make it better. So um, yeah, that's, it's a different process. Mm. Somebody over that way was, yep. <laughs> They're just waiting in the wings. <laughs> um, yeah, it would be lovely. I just you know, you hope one day, but I really, really um would love to see my Flinders Rangers books made into a mini series because they're Australian historical but you know, there's so many good books, as you say, out there. So, you know. I'll just keep running. Yes. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> well if, oh yeah. My Eve, yeah, she was just Eve. I Some are quite tricky. I cha- I change them, you know, like they start up. I, I keep a, um, a journal and I write everything as I'm um, doing my story. I write information in there, especially about the characters. And um, sometimes there's you know, cross out, cross out, cross out, because the name's just not right. And other times I just know it before I even start who they're going to be. Um, uh, I do a lot of. I, I keep a, a book of names. I, obviously, you can Google. There's all sorts of name lists on online. Um, and the other really good place that I look for names is the hatches, matches, and dispatches in the newspaper, um, because you know real life names are way better than the ones you just sort of see in, in baby books and things. Um, and often, you know, if you're looking for a particular era or a particular um, cultural background or whatever you know like you you can sort of find them there I often jot them down when I'm procrastinating I sit down with the Saturday paper and my little book of names and I just go through looking for you know not the whole person's name obviously but just you know maybe one their first name or their last name or their middle name or something just jumps out at me but and they just sit there you know and sometimes if I'm stuck for a name I'll just flick through there or um, but it just depends it is important that it's, it's like naming your child, the character yeah you have to get the character 's name right, and sometimes you know it's also about um, era too you know you can't um, name someone a name that's if they're seventy you can't give them a name that's you know what people are naming their babies now, although you probably can because names come round don't they but but you know what I mean you've got to it, the name has got to suit the age of the person as well yeah. Thank you. Is there another hand? Oh, yes. I was you, get paid. Like, do you only get paid when the book takes off? Or do you... No, they don't pay me at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, you get paid royalties on the sale of, of your books, basically. That's how it works. So if you don't sell many books, you don't get much. And if you sell lots of books, you get more. It's really how it works. Oh no, you could get an advance, you get an advance, yes, yeah, sorry, so uh, it's it's on those royalties though, so whatever you get for your advance, you have to sell enough books to cover that advance. well, I don't sell them, but people have to sell them mm. yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's how it works yes, sorry yes, and you know it's uh, there are so many great books out there, and we can't buy them all and so yeah, some, some authors really, or majority of authors, wouldn't be earning a huge amount of money. There is, um, you know, a few things that are helpful, like um, books in libraries. Um, so the government pays a, what they call public lending rights. So if you have a certain number, and I just can't think what that number is, I think you have to have, they do a, um, a survey, a yearly survey of libraries, and I think if you've got more than 50 copies, then you get a, um, you know, a small payment for that, and obviously, you know, someone like um, Bryce Courtney still would be collecting those, or well, his estate would be collecting those P.L.R. payments. So that, you know, that is certainly very helpful. It's only on book copies, though, not on now nowadays. You know, everybody borrows can borrow e-books as well and audio books, but it's only on paper copies. Mm. thank you some great questions and oh one more what about the um I, I don't know you know i think i've always been interested in it and always lived by the sea so i lived, you know obviously port Lincoln is surrounded by sea Wallaroo is by the by the sea and those prawn boats were always there um, I, in port Lincoln days when you a few were sort of friendly with a few of the prawn boat owners and I guess the same in Wallaroo. We know a few of them there too, um, and that's just just always interested me. I just thought it was a an industry that um, we don't always hear about in stories. And another book that I read many years ago and enjoyed, and I just can't think what the title is, but it was Tim Winton's Dirt Music, It's set in the prawn. It has a prawn background in Western Australia, and I, you know, I thought, oh, you know, that's a it's, I've always liked that story, totally different to mine, but just you know that he used the, porn industry background there. So yeah, it's worked out. Mm. Thank you very much for your great questions and. Um, thanks so much.
0: Just little something from us. Yeah. I have to put these in the story. Why not? <laughs> yeah. these yeah, I was going to say South Australian yeah, like right. food. Yeah, um, I guess personally, I'm, I'm actually super keen to hear how uh, you fit the frog cakes in there and how you explain that to a non-South Australian audience. <laughs> um, I guess I have to find out to read the book myself yes, and sure. find out. Um, so thanks so much. Please uh, join me in thanking HarperCollins and Trisha Stringer for being with us this evening. Um, Tricia will be uh, signing books, and and there will be the selling um, with Shakespeare's books as well. So please remember to, um, as we exit, uh, give each other enough space. So remember your distancing. Um, the cafe is still open as well. So I saw a few of you had a, um, a drink beforehand. You can have a drink after as well. Um, but please visit them. Uh, they'll be open while the book signing is happening as well. So once again, on behalf of City Marion Libraries, thanks very much for coming out tonight, and, and thank you so much.